Some have told me that maybe I'm developing the reputation of being a long-winded speaker. So, if it's any consolation, I haven't gone seven hours straight yet. I have sat in one of those sessions before. <laughs> Some of y'all got really nervous just then. Um, we'll just see what we do today, what the Lord wants to say, amen. Acts chapter 19, a very familiar place in Scripture to us where we start, I do not believe, is where we'll finish. But I feel like we need to start here today. You know, I want to hear. Don't you want to hear? Jesus was speaking in his ministry at one place, and he said, he spoke of seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Isn't that a strange statement on the surface? And I, I've been guilty of hearing but not hearing and seeing but not seeing. Anybody know him? And uh, we need to hear. We should pray for hearing, for spiritual hearing. It was the voice of the Lord to every church in the book of Revelation. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. So hearing starts with having an ear to hear. So that starts with a determination. I want an ear to hear. Then it starts with a place of prayer and seeking the face of God to Cut out other noises and then also to God, give me an ear of discernment because I want to hear what you say. And this is so vital in this hour like never before. Acts chapter 19, very familiar. We'll read quickly verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. Ephesus. Where's Paul? So are you hearing? Where's Paul at? He's in Ephesus. He came to Ephesus. All right, so Paul's at Ephesus. And when he came to Ephesus, he found some disciples there. And he said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? So we have some believers, some disciples, but they haven't received the Holy Ghost. No, I know you know this. Just stay with me. We're not going to stick right here. We just got to see the start so we can get where we're going. These believers, these disciples, have you received the Holy Ghost since you Believed. And they said to him, well, we haven't so much as... Now, they weren't forsaking God. They weren't living in the wrong necessarily. They were just living in what they knew to that point until Paul showed up and began to ask them some questions and speak some things. And when he began to speak, they, they didn't go, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. No, what they said is, that, oh, well, we haven't even heard about this. We haven't even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And so he said to them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, To John's baptism. Then said Paul, John truly baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people, They should believe on him which should come after him. Who should they believe on? Christ Jesus. Who's he talking to? Believers. Where are the believers at? Okay, good. We're listening. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were hearing... They were hearing, when they heard this, 
they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. How many people were there? Read the next verse. There were about 12. So Paul didn't go to a conference, and there were 500 believers gathered together. He ended up probably in somebody's house. I don't know. He ended up in a group of people. I don't know. But Paul ended up with about 12 people there. And they were believers and they were heard, heard something about Paul. And so he was talking to them. He had an audience with them. And he asked these questions and we see the result This with these 12. And so now Paul's leaving the 12. I want you to see we make a quick transition here. Verse 8. And he went to the synagogue. Who's going to be at the synagogue? Religious people. What kind of religious people? Jews. You with me? We need to see this. So now he's, he's going to some Jews. in the, Now he's in church, per se. Some church. Some synagogue. I don't know if it was the first synagogue of Ephesus, or it was Second Street Synagogue of Ephesus, or if it was West Side Synagogue of Ephesus. I don't know. You with me? He went to a synagogue. I think there was, might have been more than one, but I don't know. Ephesus was a pretty good-sized city. He goes to a synagogue. So we're walking with Paul into the synagogue. And what did he do in the synagogue? He spake boldly. How long did he speak? See, I'm not long-winded. No. <laughs> that just is too easy. No. So for three months, he kept going to the synagogue in some fashion for three months. Obviously, I don't think he spoke for three months straight. But he kept going back. So over the next three months, he kept going and visiting. And what was he doing there? He was disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. He was talking to Jews, Jews that believed the Old Testament, Jews that held to the law. He was trying to bring to them and disputing with them, I'm certain, from the scriptures. Paul was a man raised at the feet of Gamaliel, learned in the scriptures. And he's disputing and persuading them concerning the kingdom of God. Trying to help them see and hear what they hadn't seen and heard. But watch what happens, verse 9. While he's doing this in the synagogue, these are the people in the synagogue, when diverse were hardened and believed not, what did they begin to do? They began to speak evil of that way. So Paul is teaching the way. We see his entrance into Ephesus. We read it in the first few chapters, those 12 that heard and saw and believed and were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And then he's in the synagogue for 90 days. And here the Jews are hearing the word. But some of them, not all of them, but some of them harden their heart. They're just, he's trying to persuade them, but they're hardening their heart. And because of the hardness of their heart and their lack of belief, they begin to oppose Paul. I hope we're hearing. They begin to oppose him. And they begin to speak evil of the way in front of the crowd. And so what did he do? He departed from them. And he separated 
the disciples. Who's the disciples? These, well, I think it's at least those 12 that he started with. And no doubt, maybe a few more from this synagogue that did not have a hardened heart that heard and believed. So what he did, he's like, look, you, you can't keep trying to butt hit. They're, they're, we got to go on. And so he separated certain disciples and disputed daily. He went to another place. Now he went from the synagogue to a school. And now he's in the school of Tyrannus. Now verse 10. Now how long did he do this? See, we read the book of Acts and we're like, man, this stuff happens all. Well, we just got two full years here and we don't know anything that happened hardly in those two full years. This is what's called daily ministry. Day in, day out, day. So this continued, the separating out of disciples. And then I believe the separating of disciples wasn't just, okay, let's come over here and cluster just us 12 or 20 and let's see if we can make it. No, I think he separated them out and said, now, let's go. Let's find where there's an open door and let's begin here in Ephesus. And this continued for two years. How do we know that they didn't just cloister together? Because when this continued for two years, all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Who? Aha. Catch that. This is important. Both Jews and Greeks. Jews, God's chosen nation, and Greeks, the Gentiles, the ones that were called dogs in Scripture. Okay? All right, that was just intro. The book of Ephesians. Now, we needed to see the setting that we just read there in those first 10 verses. And you can keep reading there in Acts chapter 19. Maybe read that this afternoon. It's a powerful chapter. All of a sudden, all kinds of stuff happening. Some of the Jews see how God's using Paul, and they're like, let us try that. Now, they weren't necessarily of the way, but they recognized that Paul was having some results, and people were responding to the message. I wouldn't doubt that it might have been some of the very ones that spoke evil of him. But there were these seven guys. They were sons of a guy named Siva. You can read it in Acts chapter 19. They went out and they said, well, let's try what Paul did. And they saw a man that was possessed of an unclean spirit. And they said, by the name of Jesus that Paul teaches, we adjure you, come out of the man. Well, the spirit didn't come out. The scripture doesn't tell us the spirit came out. Matter of fact, the spirit says that that, or the scripture says that which was in the man, the man leapt on those seven and they ran out of the house naked. So one man overtook seven men. They were getting out of their clothes to get away from whatever was happening, and they ran out of that house. This is all going on in Ephesus. This is all going on where the word of God is being spoken. There are people opposing Paul and opposing the message. There are people trying to imitate what Paul and the church and the disciples there are doing in Ephesus, but they're just spreading the word. They're just spreading the word, Jews and Greeks. They're not picking and choosing. They're not just looking for the, they're, they're just spreading the word. And in two years, they've got the word throughout all of Ephesus. It begins to move so greatly that people started realizing Paul can't get everywhere. People, so they just started bringing handkerchiefs. Read it, it's Acts 19. They bring handkerchiefs. And Paul, they just would pray, they'd pray over them and, then they would take the handkerchiefs to people and they would lay them on their bodies. And people that were sick were healed. It's in the word. You know what else happened to people besides being sick and healed when a handkerchief would lay on them? 
unclean spirits would be cast out. You mean nobody laid hands on them in unclean spirits? Yeah. No, the Spirit of God operating the way He chose to. We, we've often talked about, you know, anointing something, and I think we've done that in the past. Maybe we already had lost loved ones and said, bring an article and we'll pray over it, anoint it with oil, and we've done that. And we pray about people being healed. But they did that, and unclean spirits came out when the handkerchief was laid. Just sit there, read it. Some of y'all didn't know that, did you? You thought they just healed them. So all this is happening in Ephesus. All this stuff is going on. It gets so strong that there comes a point that people start rising up against this work that's taking place here. And they're like, and this opposition that rises up says, it start this war in the marketplace, if you will, this war of words. It's like a riot. I, I sort of picture you got... You got the church coming out and doing what they're doing in the marketplace, and word gets among a few, and they're like, let's go out there and cause some trouble. Who does it, you know, more and more, they, if we don't do something, and, and so this vocal group comes, and they're the worshipers of Diana. And they come, and they start opposing the church in the market. Great is the goddess Diana of Ephesus. Great is the, and this goes on for, oh, read it in that. This is what's going I want us to see a picture of the environment in a city. This is not just some historical account. It is that. But this is a city where the Spirit of God has come in to do a work. The Spirit of God is beginning to operate through the people of God that are filled with the Spirit of God. And He's drawing people and adding them to the church daily, such as should be said. He's doing this in Ephesus, and there's opposition, and there's war, but they're going forward. Because God has put them there. So Paul writes a letter later on to this city. You with me? You saw the beginning of it. Two-year beginning. Now he's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. That's the book of Ephesians. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1. Context matters. And so you look at the birth of the church in Ephesus and you see the beginning. And then now Paul is writing. I don't know. Sorry, I didn't do. I have to go back and look. I don't know how long from when that Acts 19 account was until the writing of the letter that went to Ephesus. But here he is. Verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this line. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Church at Ephesus, you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings Not necessarily in the earth, but in heavenly places in Christ. Skip down to verse 7 for sake of time. In whom, speaking of Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Aren't you thankful for that today? We're part of that church. In whom we have redemption through His blood. Verse 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us 
the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. In case you didn't think it was all about Jesus, Paul was making it very clear it's all about him. He made known the mystery of his will to us. It was according to his pleasure. It was that which he purposed in himself. Why? What? Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, who's he? The Lord Jesus, God himself. He might gather together in one all things in Christ. How's he going to gather together all? Through Christ. Through Christ. Now watch, we're going to pause here. Quick Bible study without a 40-minute Bible study here, hopefully in the next two minutes or so. We know this. We believe this. 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was what? Manifest in the flesh. Okay, God was manifest in the flesh. So God was robed in flesh and dwelt among us. Amen? We beheld His glory, God's glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was, of course, when John the Baptist baptized the Lord Jesus that John heard the voice coming from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Notice, he didn't hear him say, With whom I'm well pleased. He said, In whom I am well pleased. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ was all God and all man. Amen? He was the fullness of the Spirit of God and robed in the flesh of a man. Colossians, for in him, the Lord Jesus, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you and I are complete. How are we complete? Aha. In him who is the head of all principality and power. So we understand and recognize, you know, this is why Jesus could declare, I and my Father are one. Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't do anything except the Father does it. I don't say anything except the Father says it. Because they were not two separate persons. He was all God and all man. And so when he walked on the face of the earth, we see God come into the earthly realm. We see him have dominion in the natural, and he has dominion in the spiritual. And so we see what we could not see before where we see someone operating in the spiritual and in the natural and having dominion in both planes. You with me? I told you I'm trying to take a long Bible study and make it really short. And so the Lord Jesus is representing this to us. He has dominion in the heavenlies and he has dominion in the natural. You believe that? Now, I want you to see verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. When you and I are in Christ Jesus, we have blessing in the natural and in the spiritual. We have dominion in the natural and in the spiritual. In the earth and in the heavenly. This is the design of God. It was example to us by Christ. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here. Go back down. What verse were we on? 10? Let's read 10 again so that we pick back up. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, 
he, the Lord God Almighty, might gather together in one all things in Christ, in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Why? That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Watch. In whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom, these words matter so much, in, in, in him, in him, in him, in whom after you believed, what happened? After you believed, what happened? You were sealed. What were you sealed with? Aha. Remember where we just read in Acts 19? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, but we haven't even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Oh, he began to preach to them. He's writing to them at Ephesus. After you believed, what happened? You were sealed. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's exactly what happened in Acts 19, 1 through 6. They believed. He declared to them the whole gospel, and then they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I know you know this, but I'm going to say it. You need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit of promise. They believed, but after you believed, you were sealed. I want to be sealed. I want to be sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Why? Because it does something. And we're, man, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to read it in a second. What it does in us is exactly what it did in the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch. Now, this Holy Spirit of promise, we're still reading verse 14. This Holy Spirit of promise is the earnest. I like the way the New King James reads. It said it is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Ghost, when you receive the Holy Ghost, when the Spirit of God comes and dwells in you, it becomes something that testifies. It was a witness in your life. I'm sealed with the Spirit of God. I have a guarantee from God. This is just the beginning of what's coming. This is the spirit of adoption. This is the spirit of grace. This is the spirit of God dwelling in me, sealed with the spirit of promise. It's the earnest or the guarantee of our inheritance until, watch, the Holy Ghost is until. The redemption of the purchased possession. I have a question for you. What is the purchased possession? What's that? We are the church which he has purchased with his own blood. We are the purchased possession. And so when you receive the Holy Ghost and I receive the Holy Ghost, it becomes a seal in our life. And what happens when we receive the Holy Ghost is we are born into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are now have blessing in the earth and we have blessing in the spiritual. We are filled with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
And so you receive the Holy Ghost. I receive the Holy Ghost. I'm born into the body of Christ until one day he says, Ah, where is my spirit sealed upon hearts? And I see the seal of the spirit upon hearts. And he says, It's time to redeem my purchased possession. I've already purchased it, but now I'm going to fully redeem it unto the praise of his glory. Keep going. Oh, there's so much here. We should read the whole book of Ephesians, but we don't have time. Ah, skip down to verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, Paul is now praying for the church. He's wanting them to lay hold of what he's trying to reveal. And so he's beginning to pray this. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? In the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why should this happen? So that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to where? To us. The exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Skip down to verse 22. I'm skipping all the good stuff, a lot of good stuff. Watch. We're talking about the purchased possession now, just in case you missed that. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Jump to chapter 2. And you, everybody say me. Say it like you mean it. Me. You have he, what has he done? He's quickened you. You were dead in your trespasses, in your sins. When he found you and I, we were dead. We were, because the wages of sin is death. We may have been walking and breathing in the natural, but spiritually we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But he found us and he quickened us who were dead in our trespasses in times past. This should always be times past for those that have been filled with his spirit, washed in his blood. In times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now understand, when you and I, before we were found and redeemed by the blood and filled with his spirit, we walked under spiritual bondage. And the spiritual bondage was the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. And you and I walked according to those things. When we come out of darkness, when we repent of our sins, when we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb is applied to our life. We're filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the seal of our inheritance, the Spirit of promise. We should no longer serve the prince of the air. We're now meant to walk in dominion and authority because we're part of the church and he is the head and he's put all things under his feet. This is what Paul is trying to relate to the church at Ephesus and he's trying to relate to the church, us, because we're reading this. In the time past before all this happened, you walked according to the course of this world. You are not designed and destined by God once you and I are filled with his spirit to any longer walk according to the course of this world. We are designed to walk according to the course of God, the King, that which He's purposed after His own will for every single one of us. 
The spirit now works. That spirit still works in the earth, but it works in people of disobedience. Brother Renee ministered to us Thursday night about just obeying the Lord. The spirit of this world, the prince of the air, still works. His favorite place and easiest place to work is in those that are disobedient. Okay, moving. Verse 3. Among whom also, now he's talking about the disobedient ones. Among whom also we all had our conversation. So he's not saying we're better than them, but he's understanding, explaining we've been brought from that. We all once had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past. Notice this is the second time he's used those words, in times past. Let's pause right there and say this. We must draw a distinctive line, allow the spirit and word of God to draw a distinctive line in our lives where we recognize and submit to the will and the word of God and say those things are things that were from times past. I don't walk and live there anymore. I don't make excuse for walking there. I don't make excuse for living there. God has done a work in my life. He's washed me by his blood. He's purchased me. I'm part of his purchased possession. I've been brought out of darkness into his light. In times past, I might have done that, but I'm not in times past anymore. I've been purchased by him in him. In times past, we all had our lifestyle in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind, and we were by our own nature. We were the children of wrath, even as others. This is why when you receive the Holy Ghost, Peter said you become partakers of his divine nature. Verse 4. But God. Everybody say, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Aren't you glad he's not poor? He's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, he hath, watch this word, he hath quickened us. This is the second time he's used that word, but he says something different this time. He's quickened us, what? Aha. Together with Christ. In the first verse of chapter 2, he said, you hath he quickened. But he went a little further now. He said he's quickened us together. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And I want to just take you back for a minute to Acts 19. We don't need to go there, but I want to take you back and remind you just a few minutes ago. Acts 19. He had Jews. He went into the synagogue. And the Jews were disputing him and resisting him. And he couldn't. And so some followed, but the rest. So he's like, okay, here we go. And then he said, look, go share the word, but don't just share it with the Jews. Share it with the Greeks. So now, in Ephesus, you've got Jews and you've got Greeks. You've got Jews and you've got Gentiles. You've got Jews that believe the Old Testament law and still living under the law, but some have been redeemed, have had the revelation of Jesus Christ by the teaching of Paul and other disciples, and they are now walking in the New Testament. And Greeks or Gentiles have received the Word of God, and they're walking in the New Testament. But I'm telling you, they are like oil and water in their previous life. The Jews 
We're the chosen people of God. We're separated. We live and walk after these laws. We live and walk after these covenants. We live and walk after all of these things. And over here is the Gentiles. And the Jews have lived their whole life. Gentiles are heathens. They're this heathen nation. Don't have anything to do with them. Separate. Be ye separate unto the Lord. They lived a life of separation until. And so Paul's writing to them right now. Be ye quickened. Or you, he hath quickened us together with Christ. How did he do it? Christ. This was the purpose of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm getting ahead of myself and I'm, I'm three quarters of the way done, I promise. We have to see this for where we are right now. We're not just trying to give you a Bible study so we know something about Ephesus. There's something that Paul was addressing and dealing with in Ephesus that they had to lay hold of for what God wanted to continue to do. The greatest revival that we find recorded in Scripture took place in Ephesus. Search it out historically. The largest, greatest revival, in, when you look numerically at people being added, it was in Ephesus. And Paul was addressing some stuff to, to show them. I don't know what started before and what came after, but it happened. And so here we are. What verse am I on? Verse 5. Thank good the, the Lord for screens. We were dead in sins. He's quickened us together. Verse 6, and what else has he done? He didn't just make you alive when you were born again of the Spirit. But he has raised, notice Paul's words are different now. He's no longer saying you, you, you. Now he's saying us, us, us. Why? Because when it was you and when it was me individually, we were lost. But when we were found and filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, it was no longer I and you. Then it was we. Because we, together, are the body of Christ. This is what Paul's communicating to them. He hath raised us up together. Jews, he didn't just raise you up because you were chosen people before. Gentiles, he didn't just raise you up. But together, he's raised us up. And what has he done when he raised us up? It's in the Word. What did he do? Some of you believe that. This is not saying will do. This is saying he made, by the way, is a past tense word. Already done. He has made us, Brother Lewis and Sister Julie. He has made us, Brother Zario and Sister Priscilla. I, I can keep naming names. He has made us sit together. Some people don't even want to be in the same room together. Is that true? Don't look around like you mean that about somebody in this room. See, Paul was writing about what the Lord Jesus had done. And he was addressing those at Ephesus where there were Jews and Greeks. and He'd been in synagogues and they were angry and pushing them out. But two years, the word covered the city. And he's riding there and saying, you got to know what God did. you got to understand that when you were redeemed, this is what happened. He's made us sit together in heavenly places, not of our own ability, not of our own doing. He did this in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus was our example for three and a half years. One that could live and walk in dominion in the earth and in the heavenlies. And when he rescued you from sin, delivered you, redeemed you, filled you with his spirit, it was to make you and I together in one body and we have dominion in the earth and we have dominion in the spirit 
I believe it if nobody else does. We ha- and I know you do. We have dominion in both realms in the body of Christ. This is what Paul is trying to address. He's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Too much stuff here. Skip down to verse 11. Wherefore, remember. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, remember. Now, he did not say, be ashamed. He did not say, live in shame or guilt or regret or remorse or poor me or oh my. He said, remember that you being in what? There's that word again. It's the third time it's come up. I know that's two words. I said that word. Those words. Remember, in time past, you were Gentiles in the flesh. Who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh. Let me just do this in English. Today's English rather than the King James. Now remember... That in the past, you were Gentiles walking according to the prince of the power of the air, living after the lust of your flesh. And you were called uncircumcision, unclean, heathen, by those that are called circumcised, by the Jews who were also in their flesh. But they saw themselves better because they were circumcised by hands under the obedience of the law. Don't forget that. Remember, that was the way it was in the past. That's how it was in the past. The Jews were over here, and the Gentiles were over here. Notice there's a semicolon there. He's not done. Next verse, 13. But now, everybody say, but now. But now, but now, but now, in Christ Jesus, verse 13, who sometimes, you who sometimes were far off, you are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one. Both what? Both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. He's made them both one. How did he do that? And he's broken down. Bishop quoted this verse to me in the truck yesterday, and when he did, it shot through my spirit. He hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall. Who did this? Who made both one? Who broke down the wall? I'll tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ did. When he came into the earth, he stepped from the spiritual into the natural. He was all God and he was all man. But his so doing said, I'm no longer having division based on an Old Testament law. I'm creating a way where whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. Let him drink of the water of life freely. When I shed my blood, it's for the Jew, the Greek, the Gentile, the heathen. It doesn't matter. Whosoever will, let him come. I'm done separating out my people and keeping them. I'm ready to make a way where anyone that chooses can so come. He is our peace. And he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition that was between us, watch, having abolished in his flesh 
the enmity, even the law of commandments that was contained in ordinances. He's talking about the Old Testament law. To make in himself of two one new man. Is that what it says? Okay, from the King James to today's English. I'm going to tear this division down. Yes, in the Old Testament law, I had to put all these laws in place because Israel was my chosen people and I had to keep them separated from the heathen lest they would follow their ways and become like them and go after the gods of Egypt. So I set these things in place. But now I'm no longer because the Jews were rejecting. I now I'm going to make a way for the wild to be grafted in. And there's not going to be a distinction between the two. I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to wrap myself in flesh and go and redeem all of mankind. And the two shall become one. And I'm going to destroy the Old Testament law that would have kept the Gentiles from coming to me. And the way I'm going to destroy the Old Testament law is I, who am the living word, I'm going to become flesh. The word will become flesh. The Old Testament law, he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. I'm going to come. I'm going to get nailed to a cross. And in so doing, he will buy it. This is the abolishment in the flesh. The law of commandments and ordinances that were against us. They were against us. He abolished it at Calvary. Why? Because he wanted to make of himself from two. He wanted to make one new man. He didn't want Jews and Gentiles. He wanted one body. And that one body is the church. That one body is the church. This is the one new man, the church. Why? So that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. The Gentiles and the Jews. Verse 18. For through him. Everybody say through him. Through him we both have access. How do we have access? You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's how you have access. Through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. You know, a little Bible study, super, ten seconds. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Through him, Jesus, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. I thought Jesus said we don't get to the Father but by him. But here Paul said we only get to the Father by one spirit. Oh, it would seem that Jesus and the Spirit are one and the same. Okay, so maybe that was a 20-second Bible study. All right, verse 19. Now, therefore, thank you, Jesus, you and I are no more strangers and foreigners. But you know what we are? Sister Stephanie, we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. 
I once was an outcast. I once was removed. I once was on the outside of the tabernacle looking in. But when he came to the cross, he abolished the middle wall, the partition. It was the Gentiles standing in the outer court, watching the Jew go into the temple and say, you can't come any further. you got to stay out there. But when he came, he rent the veil in two at Calvary. And he said, I'm going to make two, one new man. And you who were once strangers, foreigners, removed, you are now fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. This is what Calvary has done for us. And you and I are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We're not throwing that all away. We're built on the foundation of that. And Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone of the building. In whom all in Christ, all of the building is fitly framed together. And what happens when it's fitly framed together? It grows up. It grows. It grows the body. Here he's using the term of a temple because what? No, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But we are the body of Christ and we grow unto a holy temple in the Lord. He doesn't say you grow. We grow whom all grow. We have to grow together. All grow to a holy temple in the Lord in whom the Lord Jesus, you also are builded together. Why are we builded together? Why was he saying, look, Jews and Greeks no longer separated. We're bringing you together. One new man. This is why you're builded together. You are meant to be a habitation of God. Through the Spirit. Why do you think the adversary wants to divide, divide, divide? Why do you think, adversary, why do you think he wants you to get offended over some little thing and put a wall of division? Find fault with a brother. Find issue with a sister. Divide, divide, divide. He wants to hinder the building together where God dwells. I say no way. Let's be built together. Let's be built together. Now, this is so critical and important. We're going to skip chapter three. Chapter four. We'll stop in chapter four today. You can go read the whole book. It's only five or six chapters. I think six chapters. But now you have the context and you see Paul, how he's writing, what he's writing about. Chapter four, verse one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I'm begging you, that you would walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you call. What's he talking about, the vocation wherewith you call? He's saying, hey, you've been bought and brought into the body of Christ. You have a place in the body of Christ. He set you in the body as it pleases Him. And so you have this place. You have to, you have to, I'm begging you. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Seek after the mind of God. Seek alignment, Brother Reuben, with the body of Christ in every member. Seek my place. Walk in it, live in it, abide in it, knowing I'm not independent of myself. I need my brother. I need my sister. i got to walk worthy of my calling because it affects the whole. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. My page turned on me. 
with all. This is how we're supposed to walk. This is where we keep from getting offended, keep from getting hurt, keep from dividing and separating. If we'll walk with lowliness, with meekness, with long-suffering. Who am I long-suffering with? Others in the body, knowing that they're just like me, human. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and there is one Spirit. Even as you are called in one hope, hear me, there's one hope of our calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, who's through all, and He is in you all. Skip down to verse 11. I'll finish with this passage here in chapter 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give all these different things in the body? He gave it for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until, until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect, that word perfect means complete, whole. Unto a perfect man. Now you've got to remember the stuff that we just have went through. He's not saying unto a perfect man like, okay, now, Brother Lewis, praise God, you've arrived. You're now a whole man because you've come to the unity of the faith. He's not saying, okay, congratulations, Brother Zario, you've now become a perfect man because you've come to. No, 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 no. Remember, he tore down the middle wall of petition that he might make to one new man. Remember that verse we read? This is what he's talking about here. That one new man. The body of Christ, the church. He's not talking about individually us becoming individually perfect. He's talking about until together as the body we are made whole. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to see. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up. I'm in verse 15. Grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body. Everybody say the whole body. Our desire as a whole body is to grow up into him, the head. Fitly joined together. Not Jews and Greeks. Not us and them. Not we and they. The whole body. Fitly joined together, compacted or strengthened by that which every joint supplies. So you can't resist being joined together or you won't get strength. Strength comes from the joint. 
according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So he works in every part, but he doesn't just work in my part and your part for our individual benefit alone. It's always for the body. There's individual working in the measure of every part, but it's for the benefit of the whole. And what happens then? It makes increase of the body. The body grows to the edifying of itself. The body begins to edify itself in love. Now, all of that was foundation for these last couple minutes. Jesus said, That he was the door into the sheepfold. He said, if anyone comes any other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he also made this statement when he said that. He said, I have other sheep that are not yet in the fold. Them also I must bring. They're already sheep to him. They're just not in the fold yet. And he's going to bring them. And I think they might be like some of those at Ephesus. Acts 19. They believe. They believe. They're believers. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're walking in all they know to believe. Paul hasn't come along yet. Or some of Paul's disciples that he sent out for two years haven't come along yet. But I'm telling you, they're getting ready to come along. It's time. And there are, if we're not careful, we'll pass by the believer at Ephesus. Oh, no, no, no. We're of... I'm of Paul. Oh, no, 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 but I'm of Apollos. No, 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 but I'm of Peter. Paul said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you. Why? Because they were, they were separating. He has sheep he also must bring. We need to understand what Paul was saying to the church at Ephesus, which I believe the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church in this day. I will bring those that yet believe but have not yet had the fullness and been since you believe, they haven't yet been filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Hadn't even heard about the Holy Ghost. I was always taught that, like, the second I accepted the Lord as my Savior, I was filled with the Spirit. Well, I'm not trying to be offensive, but let's look at Scripture and see what the Scripture says about that. Let's walk through the Word together. This is what the disciples did, I believe. It's what Paul did to the believers. He began to teach to them Christ. And they said, well, we hadn't even heard about the Holy Ghost. And he said, how are you baptized? So he must have taught them something about baptism. Because after they heard it, they were baptized. They were obedient to the word, Brother Renee. And then after they were baptized, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were walking in everything they knew until they encountered a spirit-filled believer. Now hear me. Paul was not telling them, what? You haven't been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost? You must be a heathen. He understood. They believe. 
Can I show you something in the word of the Lord? I have a question for you. On the day of Pentecost, how many non-believers were filled with the Holy Ghost? They were all believers. They were all believers. He that cometh to God must first believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, this is the deception, though, of the world today. If I just believe, no, no, there's so much more. I'm going to tell you what would not surprise me if it happened. I expressed this to Bishop yesterday. We're still praying, looking, knocking, asking, seeking, knocking regarding building. I don't feel any pressure. I have along the way, but I don't right now. If I do, you can keep praying for me and cast it back off again. I feel like the Lord has spoken to me several times regarding buildings. And as we know, the congregation in Puyallup is also in the process of looking, praying, waiting on the Lord regarding location. I feel like the Lord has spoken to me several times and said, Do you know I can not only give you a building? I can give you a building that has people in it already. Now, hear me. I need you to hear all this in the context of these scriptures we've walked through this morning. We have to grow up together in him. Now, we're Gentiles, but if we're not careful, we can say, well, we're of the circumcision and you're of the uncircumcision. Now, we have to be built on the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets. That's the foundation, Paul Reemphasize that. Christ is the chief cornerstone. So we don't compromise, but we share what we know to be true, and we grow up together in Him. My wife and I visited some churches last week or the week before. We got to meet pastors in each of them, asking them, well, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. We're thinking about, you know, rent, whatever. Might there be four hours on a Sunday, you know, whatever. Just asking, looking, knocking. Ask, seek, knock. And... I'd went and looked at a building a few weeks ago. Bishop was in town, went with me. I mentioned to some of you on Titan. So I've been, I've been meeting different pastors. And I made this statement to several. I'm not even so sure it's about the building anymore. And a matter of fact, I'm not even so concerned about I mean, I'm still there. Don't think I don't care. But it's not, I'm not even concerned about the building so much anymore. I'm concerned about the people. The issue, the, the calling of the church is not to the building. The calling is to a people. And I think it's time. I know it's time. You've been walking in it and operating in it. But we need the Lord to show us in his word so we walk without reservation. And we walk in the wisdom and the will of God. That we step into situations where there will be believers that are not yet filled with the Holy Ghost. And so, what if... What if we gather on a Sunday in a week or two or three and we gather in a building we've never been in before and we gather and there happens to be 20 or 30 other people there that we've never met before that are believers but have you not yet seen 
the revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. It can't be us and them. Can we pray right now? need to wait right here we need to allow the spirit of God to do in our spirit what he's wanting to do we can't just move right on the spirit of God is trying to do something in the body and we have to allow him to do it however you have to to shut everything else out could we just continue to fellowship the spirit of the Lord Jesus right now Lord, I submit my mind to you. I submit my thoughts to you. I submit my opinions. I lay them on the altar. It is your kingdom. It is your church. I am a part of your body. You are the head. You are the head. By your great grace and your precious blood, we submit to you our head. I seek alignment in your body according to your will and placement. We will go as you instruct. I pray the wisdom and the understanding of the Spirit and the Word in us, with us, and through us. I repent of any element, Father, of division or offense or schism. I pray the unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Ah, Ateneo, Ateneo.